Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Praise God. Go with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. It really is just so good to see you this wonderful Resurrection Sunday morning. And, um, you know, everyone's in their Easter best, right? Had to get approval from the wife or from mom today. Did the colors approve? Did the outfit approve? Did the shoes approve? But, um, man, we are just so thankful that we can celebrate our risen king. And, you know, we, we dress it up, but the great thing about it is you can come as you are. He doesn't leave you as you are, but you can come as you are. Amen? And that's what is so amazing uh, about this day and excited for what God wants to do. I've got a message for you. Um, I will be intentional. I don't believe it'll take me long. Of course, you know, anybody that, especially my leadership, they're like, yeah, right, we'll see. Start the clock now. But it's a very simple message, and if I had to title it, it would be separated to seated. Separated to seated. The word seated is actually in the word separated. And um, I was actually talking with my pastor, Pastor Earl. He's preaching a message this morning, and he just gave me one line, and he gave me one word, separated. And, um, you know, he always says that anytime I hear him preach or anytime that I'm in his service, he always wants to see my notes because I find a way to pull out things uh, that he didn't say or to expound. And that's just, uh, you know, I don't know, a a gifting, if you will. Um, You know, he says I could take one message he gives and get six weeks out of it, you know. Um, you know, if it's a teaching gift or the administration gift or what have you, um, you know, I just enjoy that because the word of God is so fresh. It should never become stale to us. It's not old leftovers. It's not, well, I've heard that before. The moment you start walking in familiarity, you cut yourself off from new truths, new revelations. And it's not new as in we're creating it. It's new as in we're just discovering it. You ever gone through something or gone through a challenge or even found a principle in life and then you go to the word and it's like, wow, it's there. We're just discovering what God already knows. That's what we're on. This is a journey of discovery. This is a journey of coming to a recognition, a realization by revelation, not information. If you came here to just get informed today, then you're going to miss uh, the content, because this is this doesn't come to you by way of information. I'm not here to inform you to knowledge. I'm here to uh, reveal something that will inspire you to make a change or transformation. And in Ephesians chapter 2, if I had to pick uh, a favorite chapter in the Bible, um, Ephesians chapter 2 would not be it, but it's very close. It's an honorable mention. Um, 
You know, I still hold fast. Romans chapter eight is my favorite chapter in the Bible. I think it holds the key. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't live according to the law of sin and death, but the law of spirit and life. And he talks about the mind. He talks about setting your mind on the things of the spirit, not on the things of the flesh. And then he gets into those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. And he says that uh, when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will make intercession for you, will will make groanings that cannot be uttered. And then he says, for uh, who can be against us if God is for us? Who What can separate us from the, I mean, just the powerful. It's like, man, that could have been a book by itself. But Ephesians chapter two, now if I had to pick a favorite book, Ephesians is it. Um, And if you're new to the kingdom, uh, new to this journey of discovery that I just mentioned, Ephesians is where you want to go. Because Ephesians one, two, and three, it's six chapters. One, two, and three tell you who you are. The first thing you got to know is who you are. Chapters four, five, and six tell you what to do. But notice in life, we like to tell people what to do, and that determines who they are. But in the kingdom, you first discover who you are, and then you find out what to do. I need my identity before I need an assignment. Amen. Because I need to know that I'm able. I need to know that he predestined me. I need to know that I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. I need to know. And then he starts talking about, okay, wives, this is how. Children, honor your parents in the Lord. Then he talks about uh, servants, and he talks about employers and employees, and then he talks about putting on the full armor of God and closes it out with that. But until I discover my identity, Jesus wants you to discover your identity. The Father wants you to discover who you are, not just what to do. But in Ephesians chapter 2, there's a really interesting verse here. In verse 13, verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, everyone say in Christ. In Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But in Christ Jesus, he says now in Christ. Everyone say now. That might be. A pretty important word right there, isn't it? Right now in Christ Jesus. You know, when, 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 as over dispensations and over time, as man has gained more understanding, we have also lost things over time. Things get lost in translation. Things get lost from generation to generation. And we, we somehow ended up with a gospel that promises a lot of things at the end when we leave this world and go to the next. But there's not a lot of messages and not a lot of gospel and not a lot of preaching and teaching and enough content out there of what belongs to you right now. Everyone say right now. Right now. Right now in Christ Jesus, he says, you who were far off, far, off, far away, distant, separated, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Jesus. The Amplified reads it this way, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were so far away through 
by in the blood of Christ have been brought near. And the passion reads it this way, yet look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, now you have been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united with Christ. I love that because I looked up the definition of separated. It means this simply to divide, to cause to move or be apart. It means to divide, to cause to move or to be apart. And then I typed in opposite of separated or opposite of separate. And the first word that popped up was unite. What you need to understand about the enemy is the enemy comes to divide what God means to be one. And Jesus came to make one what the enemy intends to divide. This is a common practice from the beginning of time that what God defines as one, the enemy wants to come and separate. We see this happening now in families and homes and marriages, right? Even identities are being severed. There's a dividing taking place. There's a cutting away that's taking place. There's a division that's showing up. There's a cutting off, creating distance and creating space where God intends for us to be close not just in proximity, but in spirit. Jesus, and this is the core, this is what got us started on this journey, that this is the statement that Pastor Earl made to me. He said, you know, Jesus emphasized far more being separated from the Father than he did going to hell when you die. Now, hell is actually just simply eternal separation. It's being separated with no recourse for correction, no way to be made one once again, no way to be united or be brought close. That's what hell is. When hell is eternal damnation, eternal separation. How could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. He's yet to send someone to hell. The same choice that gets you in heaven is the same choice by default, not choosing heaven, not choosing the lordship of Christ, is choosing eternal separation, eternal damnation, eternal, uh, uh, the, the, the burning lake of fire that we talk about a lot. But there's something even, uh, uh, that, that's just the eternal state. And what many people don't realize is if we're not careful, we will accept hell on earth here. just hoping that in the long game, the long run, in the end, we're brought near to him. But I wanna show you today that God wants to and intends and has provided a way for you to be brought near now. Everyone say that with me. Say brought near now. Brought near now. Right now I can be near the Father. But we know in Genesis chapter three when man fell when man sinned. If you'll go over there, Genesis chapter three. I won't recap the whole thing, but we know the very first words of Genesis chapter three and verse one. Now the beast, the snake, the serpent was the most cunning, tricky, crafty 
beasts in all the garden. And he comes in to tempt Adam and Eve, right? Has a conversation with Eve. Did God really say, you will not surely die? Did he really say you would surely? Just questioning, just the challenging, right? And we've, we've talked about this before that, you know, the enemy asks questions to hide the truth, to conceal the truth, to veil truth. He's not asking a question wanting to know information. He's not asking a question wanting to gain knowledge. He doesn't ask questions uh, because he's, he's in, insightful and, and, and man, I just want to be a learner and I just want to grow and, and you know, I just want to keep asking questions so I can really. No, he's coming deceptively, deceitfully, in a tricky and cunning way. He says, did God really say that if you eat the fruit? Well, of course, Eve responds, no. He said that if we eat the fruit, of this particular tree, we would surely what? Die. We would die. Of course, what does the snake respond back with? You will not surely die. Just a simple three-word, uh, a three-letter word plugged in the middle there changes the whole outlook of that statement. You will not surely die. No, actually, God knows And then he tempts Eve with something very interesting. Closer proximity to the Father. An alternative proximity. An alternative closeness. He says, no, he knows that when you eat of it, you will be like him, knowing good and evil. He actually tempts Eve with becoming more like God. Well, we know that Eve eats the fruit. She sees that it's wise. It it looks like it's good for food. It's It's desirable to the eyes. She eats the fruit and she gives to Adam. He eats the fruit. Now, in that moment, does it say that they drop dead instantly, quit breathing, and their lives instantly were over? It doesn't say that, does it? No, it tells us actually that their eyes were opened. They recognized their nakedness. They began to hide themselves. And in verse 8, this is what happens in direct response to them eating the fruit. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, which which means this was a regular occurrence. This was regular activity for God to walk in the midst of his man and his woman, to walk in the midst of his creation, to walk in the midst among them in close proximity. We already know that they heard his voice and knew how to respond to his voice because several commands have been given. Several instructions have been given. Anywhere from name the animals to tend the garden and keep the garden, right? And then, of course, Adam's put into a deep sleep. Adam, and then he wakes up and he, he calls his wife Eve, and, and we have that whole, so we know that there is a, a, an ability to hear God, follow his instruction, 
know when he's around, sense his presence. But now this time it says, when God is walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, it says this, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now I want to remind you, we ministered this a couple of weeks ago on the value of Jesus as Lord, not just Savior. And I want to remind you that if we would acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we wouldn't need him to be Savior. Savior was a secondary role Jesus was never intended, never supposed to have to take on if we merely honored him as Lord. Savior is what you need when you fail to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They heard the Lord God walking in the midst of the garden at the time of the evening breeze. But this time, rather than being drawn near, being drawn closer, responding favorably to his presence, they automatically respond with what? Separation. And we know in this moment, they did not physically die, they spiritually died. And we've defined it many times that that sin is spiritual death and spiritual death is not where I literally cease from existing in this planet and in this body and, and in my flesh. It means that I am now spiritually separated from God. What is the result of this spiritual separation? Number one is you're cut off from life. You know, we know, uh, and, and, and for a while, those that lived and were uh, uh, born early on lived for a long time, a long time. You're talking 900 plus years for several of them. Adam, Methuselah, the man that lived the longest on the earth, 969 years, that's a long time, isn't it? I mean, guys, we're walking in days, it's, it's, some people don't get 69. It's obviously been shortened by a lot. But this is what happens when you're cut off from the life of God. You're cut off from the resource that was designed to keep you existing. You're, you're, you're cut off from his resources. You're cut off from his direction and instruction. You're also cut off from his will and his purpose. Now you start prioritizing your will and your purpose over the Lord's will and the Lord's purpose. All these things come as a simple result of one thing, separation. Make it very clear, that, and the word of God makes it very clear, you and I were not designed to exist in this life without connection to the Father. We were not. We weren't, we weren't designed to do this on our own. And so Jesus multiple times emphasizes this, I'm here to reintroduce you back to the Father and to reunite you with the Father. He made a statement like this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He makes another statement, if you would know me, you would know the Father. 
There was such a bond and such a union, such a unity, such a oneness with Jesus and the Father. They were inseparable. He said, if my Father wills it, I will. If my Father says it, I say it. And I don't say anything on my own initiative. I only say what the Father would say. I only address this issue the way the Father would address this issue. I only respond to that crisis or that problem the way the Father would respond to the problem or to the crisis. There was never a a distinguishing between the Father and the Son. Jesus came to reunite. Jesus came to make one what the enemy came to divide. But the enemy shows up here in Genesis 3 to divide what God intended to be one. It says that they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, here it is, where are you? Now, there's nobody in this room that believes that God is asking that question because he literally does not know where Adam and Eve is, are. What's he asking? See, if the enemy asks questions to hide truth, then God asks questions to reveal truth. And he's trying to let them know, you're in a place I didn't intend. You've wandered. You've become divided. He's not asking, where are you geographically? Where are you spiritually? Where are you? Where have you fallen to? I can't find you where I left you. Do you hate that when you you know you left something somewhere? So you start blaming everybody in the house when you were the one that relocated it and you just forgot that you relocated it. Why are you always moving my stuff? Well, Adam and Eve did the same thing. Adam found a way to blame his wife and God in one statement. It was that woman you gave me. (laughs) Boy, we fell hard quick, didn't we? We fell fast. He, He fell so quick, he bumped his head and he said, I'm gonna blame my wife and my God at the same time. He just doubled up. God asked, where are you? He's not asking, what are you? He's not asking, who are you? He said, where? You've come out of oneness. You've abandoned our proximity, our closeness, the bond, the union, and the unity you and I were supposed to have. And now you can't function in the earth the way you were designed to function. Remember, God was, or uh, Adam was made, man was made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. God was the essence of man, was the, was the very essence, the very DNA, the, the, the very, the whole reason we exist is because God created us to exist and he created us to exist and operate just like him. And that requires connection. That requires union. 
That requires oneness. That requires sameness. Sameness of mind. Sameness of heart. Sameness of passion. Sameness of urgency. Sameness of function and design and likeness. That's what you and I were designed for. But this issue of separation has now crept in. Adam responds in verse 10 and he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I heard you like I've always heard you before, but this time when I heard you, it instilled a different response and an opposite response. It instilled within me a response different than I've felt before. Notice just even naturally speaking, they didn't have the capacity to respond as they did before, separated from the Father. This issue of union, this issue of unity, this issue of being now far off. They've become separated. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells us a parable, a parable that I believe demonstrates this separation. Luke chapter 15 is verse 11 is where we find the parable of the prodigal son. You know, I, I have different versions of Bibles that I look at and I study at, I study in and, and they all have different headings above these different sections. Do your Bibles have headings over different sections? Helps you identify things. You know, in my, um, I believe it was my New King James Bible, it says the parable of the lost son. But I had another Bible. I'm pretty sure it was the CSB Bible because that's what I'm reading out of. It, it says, what does it say? The lost sheep. Okay, there was a different one because the different, I had another one that said the parable of the proud father. This story is all about perspective. You can look at it from the, per, the perspective of the lost son or the proud father. Today is a day you can look at as I'm lost, I'm wandering, I'm, I'm out of connection, I'm, I'm separated. Or you could look at it from the, the, the viewpoint, the vantage point of there's a father that's waiting for their son and daughter to return home once again. The perspective's up to you. But in verse 11, it says, he also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Now notice, this is a man that wants the resources without the connection. This is a danger because there are some of us that have presented the gospel in a way of just its blessings and its, uh, uh, you know, the benefits of being in the kingdom and how God wants to bless you and God wants to provide for you and God wants to do this and God wants to do that, but not at the expense of connection. Not at the expense of relationship. Nobody on this planet wants to only have a, a connection with someone on the level of what they do for them or what you give me. There, there's no employee that wants that, employer. There's no uh, uh, parent that wants that, especially in parents. In marriages, I'm just in it for what you can do for me. That's the lowest 
form of relationship, lowest form of connection that there is. But this young man is asking for the blessing, the benefit, the resource without the connection. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had, and here it is, traveled to a distant country. He's now separated. Traveled to a distant country when he, where he squandered his estate in foolish living. Notice that the resources were there for a, for a time being. But when you have resource without connection, you lose the source of the resource. So now you're living at the mercy of the resource, but you don't have where the resource comes from. You don't have the connection that can continue to provide resource and continue. So we've got to understand that the blessings flow from relationship. The promises flow from connection. When we maintain the connection, the blessings and the promises are just simply a byproduct. They come to you because you're in the house, you're in the family. It belongs to my children. This is your inheritance. It's already yours. You don't have to fight for it, beg for it, claim it. When my son goes in my refrigerator, he doesn't ask. May I have? It belongs to him. Why? If it belongs to dad, it belongs to me. If it's in this house and I'm in this house and I belong in this house, then everything in the house belongs to me. But it's dangerous when we run after resource without the relationship. And after he had spent everything, you'll spend it. And you'll be limited to what it can produce for you in return. Then a a severe famine struck that country. And it says what? He had nothing. Nothing. So then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, you know, this is the day we get to come to our senses. Resurrection Sunday ought to be a day that we remind ourselves. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. Now notice his his first statement, his first level of recognizing I need to make a change was to come back as a servant, to come back as a hired hand. He's thinking I I've, I have fully forfeited my right to sonship. I have fully compromised my ability to live as a son in his house, one that could freely. So now I have to work to to approve of what I can get. Now I have to strive for what the sons just yield to and surrender to. But he's thinking, at least if I come in at that level, at least if I come in on the level of, well, how can I obtain it? How can I impress him? How can I be approved as a servant, as a worker, to just lay claim to whatever he feels I'm worthy of doling out to me? And see, this is the thing. If the enemy can't get you from going back home, he will get you going back home and feeling unworthy even being in the house. 
There are levels to this thing. But that's not the oneness that Jesus came to provide. That's not the oneness. You see, when we claim the promises of God, this is what we're doing, guys. We are claiming what Jesus paid for. I'll give you an example. Kyle, do you have a dream car? You have a dream car. What is it? Denali? A Denali. A Yukon Denali. Fit a bunch of kids. I, I like this is dad, dad Kyle. But we're going to get you a flossed up Denali, dude. I mean, it's, it's going to have the wheels. It's going to have the sunroof. It's going to have the heated seats and the massaging seats. And the, it's going to talk to you, right? It's going to have all the good stuff. And if somebody came to you, uh, you know, let's say uh, Pastor Chris right here. I'm not prophesying now unless, you know, it yields to your spirit. And then don't, don't be disobedient. If Pastor Chris says, Kyle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the dealership, I'm going to purchase that Denali for you. Now, he's already paid for it. And you failed to go pick it up. But you're running around in the, the hoopty, falling apart, squeaking everywhere, huh? not big enough to take the kids. Whose fault is that? It's up to us to claim what Jesus has paid for. Now I want to go a step further. Let's say it's a brand new, brand spanking new. Pastor Chris pays for it. It's at the dealership. All you got to do is go up and pick it up. You pick it up. But when you pick it up, it's making a sound. It's making a knocking sound. And you're like, well, man, you know, I didn't pay for it anyways. I mean, I I don't want to complain about it. It's inferior. It's less than what he paid for. But you just choose to live with it. No, it's time for us to claim all that Jesus paid for. I do not settle. You know why we lay hands on the sick and see them recover? Because he paid for it. You know why we cast out demons? Because he paid for it. And I'm not going to go to Jesus and he say, well, man, why don't you take it back in the shop? Why don't you get that thing? Why don't you tell somebody? That's less than what I paid for that. And why are you accepting less than what I provided for you? This young man was willing to accept less than just because it was better than his current condition. And that's what a lot of us will do. Well, maybe he's teaching something, teaching me something through this sickness. But that's better than not being in the family at all. So, and you're accepting less than he paid for it. He holds the receipt. He determined your worth. He determined your value. If he determines your value, then stop giving away discounts. Huh? Stop accepting less than. We're talking about coming back into union. We're talking about claiming fully what Jesus has provided, all that he's provided. And he did not go through all that he gave you, all that he went through to give you half than, just good enough, barely enough, almost enough, maybe enough, one day enough, next day not enough. 
Come on, guys. This is Resurrection Sunday. We're celebrating a risen king. We're celebrating one that has paid the ultimate, full, complete price. All that was required. And he did not leave anything undone. He went to the dealership, picked out the best one, bought it, and said, go pick it up. It's yours. Now, you have, to, you have to choose to pick it up. And then if there's anything wrong with what you pick up, you need to take it back and say, this is not what he paid for. Union. No. The, the hired servant making a wage is not going to work. Oh, he'd have his needs met. He'd have food. He'd have more than what he currently has. And the enemy will get you to settle somewhere in between where you are right now and where God wants you to be. He's looking for you to settle. But I'm not bringing you a message that helps you settle. We are going after all. I said we're going after all. Not halfway, not a marriage that's halfway healed, but you still have the bickering and the issues and the past hurts. No, he wants to heal it all. Heal them all. Not just take away the pain, but I still have a little bit of a limp. He wants to heal it all. Now, you have to choose to claim it, and you have to choose to go get it. And then you also have to choose to not accept anything inferior than what he has provided you in his word. Hallelujah. He got up. He went to his father, verse 20. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy. The enemy has a whole group of believers in this state, in this position right now. At least I'm running to the father, but I'm not worthy. At least I'm coming back home, but I'm not good enough. But the father told his servants. Now, if you remember back up in verse 19, verse 19, the son is saying to himself, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Verse 21 says, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's all he's able to get out. The father cuts him off. The father cuts him off and says, no, no, no. Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and a sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with the feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. Here it is. He was lost and is found. And they began to sell. You understand that union with Christ is what, hella, what, is what heaven celebrates the most. The greatest consequence of sin was not hell. It was separation from the Father. The moment you sinned, the moment you were separated, that was, the, that was what the Father hated the most. 
Jesus dreaded more than the beatings, more than the whip, more than the crown, more than the nails, more than losing his life. He dreaded being separated from his father for the first time in eternity. On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the cry. I'm separated. I don't even know how to live outside of union with you. I don't even know how to exist cut off from my life source. I don't even know how to breathe, how to continue to go on without this union. You know, in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for you and I. Did you know that? He said, may they be one with us. He actually said, may they be one in us. Just as you and I are one. He wanted the same union that he shares with his father. He wanted that union for you and I. Not inferior. Not less than. Not subpar. Not with the veil between. Not with the go-between, having to go through, uh, you know, the priests who had to take the sins for the people before the, not through a bunch of works, not through a bunch of approval, not through a bunch of impressing, but just through my heart unified with your heart. He wanted union once again. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. He said, when I send the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will abide with you forever. God is forever trying to close the gap between him and his people. He's trying to close that level of separation and bring the unity back to its original intent. Do you believe that Jesus restored you? Do you believe that he restored you? You know what restore means? Restore means literally to put back where you found it. That's literally what restore means. If this Bible falls off of this podium and it hits the ground and I pick it up and I place it on this speaker, have I restored the Bible? Have I restored the Bible? I'll do it till I get everybody. Have I restored the Bible? Don't be disobedient. Not something that I will not say no. I will not read it. Just say it. It's not restored. It's not restored until it's put back where it originally was. In the garden, knowing and hearing the voice of God, responding favorably. Not having to strive for his approval, but living from his approval. Able to tend and keep a garden. Able to tend and keep your home. Able to tend to keep your family. Able able to tend and keep your sphere of influence. Able to tend and keep everything that God has placed within your care. As long as you remain in union with the one. Not just living off the resource, but connected to the source. So go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Worship team, make your way this, this way. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to start with verse 1. We read verse 13. I want to start with verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins 
in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Why? Because when you're separated from the Father, you now must live at the mercy of the world around you. When the world hurts, you hurt. When the world is down, you go down. When the world is up, you go up. How the world handles it is how you're forced to handle it, but not in the kingdom of God. You're in the world, but you're not of the world unless you're not connected in union. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. I've heard people tell me that. It's just my nature. It's just my nature to get angry easily. It's just my nature to, to get uh, become anxious and worried. It's just my nature. It's just the way. No, 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 no. He gave you a new nature. That's why you need to be born again. Well, I was born this way. I don't know why I desire this. I don't know why I want this. No, you need to get born again. You're born that way because wickedness, that is the nature of wickedness. But when you become in union with him, have a new source, have a new way of living, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath, but look at verse four, but God, how many of you are thankful for the but God in your life who is rich in mercy? Because of his great love that he had for us. Now watch this. Made us alive. Everyone say it with me. With Christ. Say with Christ. Made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Verse 6 says, he also raised us up. Here it is. With him. Everyone say it. With him. And seated us, there it is, seated us, go it, say it with me, with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, it is God's gift not from works, so that no one can boast, but we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised. Verse 12, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners. These are all words of distance, of separation. But verse 13 says, but now in Christ, you who were far away have been brought near. He goes on to say in verse 16, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put to death uh, hostility, put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access. You might be in this room and say, Pastor Mar, I don't have access. I, I, I can't come. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've broken. You don't know what I've rebelled against. You don't know how disobedient I've been. You don't know where I've been. You don't know who I've become. 
I don't need to know. Because the God of all creation knows every hair on your head. He knows exactly. And he's still calling you back into union once again. Union. And this is not a halfway union. You've been raised up with Christ. Made alive with Christ. The most important one, seated with Christ. You were separated. Now you're seated. You know what this means? You know what in Christ means? Paul uses this reference over 140 times in his gospels, in his, in his writings, in his letters to the churches. In Christ, in him, in whom, by him, through him. He's trying to help you understand your identity is now in I put it to you this way. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. If you're in Christ. This is the union you've been looking for. Not a, I hear the voice of God and I hide and run. I hear the voice of God and I'm drawn near. What is it that you would have for me to do? What is the assignment you would have for me to perform? Where is it that you would like me to go? What is it that you would want me to say? It's the Jesus kind of union. If the Father does it, I do it. If he says it, I say it. If he wants it, I want it. It's having your heart, your purpose, your will, your agenda so in line with him that there's no distinguishing between the two. Would everyone stand with me? We sang it earlier, but this is how Galatians chapter 2 puts it. Listen to this verse. Read it on the screen behind me. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Everyone say it with me. With Christ. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I mean, talk about union. Talk about unity. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to show this to you in the passion real quick. My old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me, dispensing his life into mine. Some of you have said, I'm so tired of this life. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of, of just following all my natural fleshly inclinations, just bowing and being subjected to everything that the world has. I'm so sick of this. I need a new life. This is the new life you've been looking for. A new life with Christ. A new life in Christ. A new life through Christ. A new life being with him. Paul said, in him I move, I live, and I have my being. Paul understood this unit, this, this union. He actually understood this union so well that he said, I pray that the churches will have a spirit of wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of him so that they can discover this union that I have found. I want to give a quick call. I'm not going to take a long time. 
You need to respond. If this is you, you need to respond. You need to come down here. You need to meet me at the altar. We want to pray with you. But if you not, if you have not experienced this union, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to take for granted or assume that everybody in this room has given their lives to Christ in this manner. If you have not experienced, I need to give my life to him so I can take his life as mine and die with him and become one with him. That, if that's you today, I want you to just shoot your hand in the air. Anywhere in this room, help me see it. I got one right back here. Young man, if you'd come down here for me. Come on down here for me. Come on. When one soul comes in the kingdom, all of heaven celebrates. All of heaven rejoices. If that's you, you say, I need this new life. I'm tired of chasing my old life. I'm tired of living to my old ways. Come on, if that's you, just come on down. Don't even wave your hand. Just make way into the aisle. Would you turn and face me? Turn and face me. Anybody else? I want you to stretch your hands this way right now. I love this example I saw over the weekend. If, if, if I said, I'm going to give you this Bible, and I stretch it out toward you. What do you need to do to get it? You just reach out and take it. What I'm about to offer you is as simple as reaching out and taking it. What was your name? Randy. Randy, I want you to pray this prayer with me. We're all going to pray it together. And then we've got some folks that want to go back and pray with you and walk you through what this means, okay? Pray this with me, church. Say, Father, we come to you right now. We recognize I was born separated from you. But today, I receive new life. I receive union with Christ, made new, all things made new. I receive that new life. I believe your son died on the cross. I believe he rose again. And I celebrate this today by giving all of my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give it up for Randy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The next step that we're going to take is we're going to help those that want to publicly declare, hey, Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris, if he wants to get water baptized, we'll just take him as he is, man. Good. If you're in this room and say, I want to take that step. I don't care if you register. I don't care if you didn't bring clothes. You go home wet, that's okay. Better to go home wet and new. Obedient. Huh? We want to baptize you. If that's you, today we would dismiss y'all out to our foyer right now. I know that we've got several that have registered, have already prepared and planned. We want to go ahead and dismiss you at this time. We've got children. We've got teenagers. We've got adults. Amen. This is, I mean, how many of you remember the day you gave your life to Christ? How many of you remember, remember the day you were bought or baptized? Y'all remember that? Oh, what a day. What a day that was to publicly declare. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. 
If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.